Hello, Cyclocross friends, and thanks for tuning in to episode 274 of Cyclocross Radio. On today's show, we are discussing, recapping, analyzing GoCross, Virginia's Blue Ridge GoCross. It took place in Roanoke, Virginia this past weekend. First two races in the USCX series. Zach and myself were both there, and uh, along with Michael, we uh, we get into it. We break it all down for you as we look forward to Rochester next weekend. Before we start the show, uh, here's 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 a plea I haven't done in a while. Leave us leave us a review and uh, rate us on on Apple Podcasts. It helps a lot. We've ramped uh, the media pit and Cyclocross Radio back up again after. Uh, the downtime during gravel and mountain bike season uh we'd love it you know if uh, here's 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 what i would ask uh if you want to rate it and you feel good about the show give us five stars give us a positive review if you feel like there's something that uh, we're not living up to your expectations or you got a problem with uh shoot me an email feedback at cxers.com um pretty good about getting back to everyone on that uh, i'd be happy to hear from you even if it's uh some knit you want to pick. You can also follow us on social media. All of the links are in the show notes, but uh, Zach's over at CX Airs Bulletin on Instagram. I'm at CX Airs on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, you can follow uh, Michael at Land Softly. All right, well, let's do this. We got Michael, Zach, myself. It's episode 100 and, oh my goodness, 100, it's episode 274 of Cyclocross Radio. We're talking about the USCX series and GoCross, and we're doing all of that right now. We are back in the media pit, and this week, we've got racing. We're going to concentrate on the domestic scene, mainly, in Roanoke. If we have time at the end, we may talk a little bit about what they were doing over in Belgium. But for now, first race of the USCX series. I'm going to start with Michael, just because before we get into it, you had a, you had a little adventure here, you know, that sort of rolls into our, our sister podcast as well. A little Grodio trip for you. Yeah, I uh, went to Amanda Nauman's Mammoth Tough. I took my short track gravel bike out to California, and I had a blast. Um, I just wanted big ups to Amanda and Dave. That was a really fun event, um, super well run, and some phenomenal views. Uh, you know, gravel, it's more like dry sand, really, out there in the, in the Sierras. Um, and there was one section I feel like it was, I don't know if they were like snowmobile trails in the winter, but it, it was like this this steep downhill chute, and you could just rip that thing on your bike. It felt like you were skiing or snowboarding the way you're whipping around on that on that uh, sand. It was just so much fun. Like Amanda and Dave, they put super fun trails and roads with views for days. And I mean, I think if they, I hope they do it again next year, like, wide angle podium friends listeners like check it out it's worth it it's near yosemite is there's things you can do like like i had a blast and i hope i get to talk to him on amanda and dave about it yeah hopefully we'll get a grodio set up amanda we're gonna get a grodio set up uh and, and you all can all uh, uh chat about that and uh 
Zach, you also uh, took a trip to an exotic place. You you went to the Star City for the first time. Uh, spent the weekend in Roanoke, Virginia. I did. I wanted to say we were we were discussing this in the uh, pre green room chat that you know to make sure that we just incorporate all the wide angle podium podcasts. I actually did a Peloton ride uh, at my <laughs> office gym before this show. Yeah. So just a little you know a little shout out to Nowhere Fast. It wasn't a Zwift race, but you know I did I did a Peloton ride to get to get hyped for this. Uh, but yeah, I went to I went to Go Cross. I think it was one of those situations where I did enough interviews where I was like, I'm going to Go Cross this year, and then it just like manifested itself that I sat down and bought the plane ticket. So that like once you're committed, you know, like I'm going to Rochester again this weekend, Bill. You know this. Once you buy the plane ticket and that 24 hour window goes by, you're committed. So I committed to doing it, and I I was stoked. I was super happy. Uh, be curious to hear your take. I thought it was a great event. Great venue, great course, great city, great hosts. Frank Deal, the promoter, does a great job. He's you know one of one of the good dudes in in cyclocross. Like I came away with it with good vibes. If that's uh, that's what we're doing this year, yeah, I, I think what they have there is is just a great situation. In that, you know, I, I if you've listened to me yap enough over the years, and especially when I talk about mountain biking and successful mountain biking events and the ones that do it right are the ones that get visitors bureaus involved and, you know, sort of get the region, get outside of the bike industry itself and get regional tourism involved. And that's what Roanoke has done and go cross has done. They got Virginia's blue Ridge. It's that it's, it's, it's the apostrophe S that has been throwing me. When I was doing like those GCN interviews, I kept looking at the finish line at the beginning of every, the start of every interview so I could say the name right and go Virginia's Blue Ridge Go Cross. Uh, yeah, but just having that involvement and then having a venue that was underused and wasn't really, nothing really was happening in, in Fallon Park. So they were able to get in there, build some trails, build a, build permanent cyclocross features and you really can't ask for a better for a better setup um what what were your impressions about the venue i really liked it i mean i i thought that uh, apparently though i did hear that i guess there is a homeless encampment somewhere that the in the enchanted forest that they were calling it i uh serendipitously ran into the promoter frank deal as i, I was walking from the starbucks to the airport because <laughs> it is a smaller city about a hundred thousand people and i was just tired of taking lift rides i'm like i'll just go walk and he's like hey zach and i was chatting with him he's like just so you know we we didn't go all the way back into it but it's it's really cool. Like it's good for spectating. Um, Bill, you can speak to this. They had the new section on top of the hill that was kind of like the weird pinwheel maze of of course tape that I thought works really well. It added some really challenging climbing to the course. Um, you know, it had distinct sections. I think there were just really cool. There were good places for spectators to watch. You know, they had the the pool for people. They had the doggy cross, and it just seemed like. I would say that there were more people there than I expected for a town of a hundred thousand people. That's three or four hours away from DC that you have to, it's like a destination race. Uh, it just seemed like there were just a lot of folks there to watch cyclocross and people were really stoked about it. And, you know, we'll certainly talk about the Werners and the reception that they got, but, uh, I, I it exceeded my expectations. I, I think on, on all accounts, I gotta say the vibes look good and uh, I'm trying to keep, I'm trying to like, did the trip, but I was trying to cram for this podcast. So I was watching uh, Jerry Warner's um, <laughs> vlog. <laughs> Saw some Zach's. Saw some Bruce. Um, and 
the vibes look good. I saw the kiddie pool look great. I saw there was also like a city pool right next to the to the venue. They needed somehow. Let's, let's not talk about the city pool. Okay, I thought like that was like right for opportunity, bringing that in, like opening up for people for the riders to cool off after the race. But no, did you notice how it was bright green I did, on the broadcast? I did notice um, that yeah. it was. There were like twelve inches of algae in that pool. They were having issues with the pool this season. I'm not sure it was open at all. But in the past, in the past, it was it had been a working pool and was this. It in in many riders took advantage of that. Okay. Uh, going going for a post race dip, which is which is you know which definitely added to the vibes in the past. I think that yeah, just with the. Uh, mechanical operation of the pool. <laughs> it just wasn't, I don't think it's been open uh, all season. And just, just talking about, yeah, I mean, there, there are some folks that are living back there that I don't think the, that rightfully so the race didn't want to disturb Zach. But I think also having seen those sections in the past, which I know Frank loves it. I know they're, they're, they're cool. Cause it's kind of single tracky in there. You know, it's still wide enough for a cycle. It's, it's sort of that, that Belgian thing where yes, we can tape it three meters, but, if we're being honest, there's only about eh, maybe one meter, if not less, to actually ride, you know, so it's very single track back there. But I think the setup that they had actually uh, gave you better racing. Uh, that, that, that didn't, it's a cool section, but it didn't necessarily uh, facilitate better racing than, than what they had with this setup. And the, the, that hill section you were talking about, I think Frank uh, described it as his, his, kind of nod to jingle cross but i guess you're going up instead of down it's it's uh it was it was some elevation you get you get winded getting to the getting to the top of that hill just walking it i sort of asked you guys a question since i wasn't there but and bill you've been there before and, and zach i know you this is your first time but the course changes what were the impacts on the racing i know the sand pit changed or the entry or that's new but i'm just curious what you saw that was different and how it affected um things on, on the day-to-day well, I think that if you looked at um, this is this is just seamless marketing right here. If you looked at the 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 reel that I put up on Instagram of the men's field, you can tell a little bit of the impact in that. That is Zach. What like one minute into the race, if that you know they're down the start, up the climb through the that stuff, and then they come through there. So they've gone for about forty five seconds to a minute, and they came through there, and it's already single file. And it's already starting starting to split up through there. In the past, you would have the start went the opposite direction, and you basically went up through Becca's trees and down onto the course proper, and then you were like right at the pit. And it it was a lot more shoulder to shoulder, a lot more fighting for position all the way up through the sand pit. So I think that. That added elevation and then the technical descents definitely kind of split things up much earlier than in the past. Yeah, and I think the elevation too, I think really took its toll. I mean, one, it wasn't, uh, I get there, I'm going, it's like 80, I'm already sweating by the time I get to my lift. And the driver's like, this weather is phenomenal. <laughs> this is a great weekend. And I was like, "Yep, it's 85. I haven't even gotten out of my hotel yet and I'm already drenched and covered in sweat. Uh, so it was hot and humid. I think that took a toll. And I mean, that climbing was legit. I mean, we saw that it kind of split apart the lead group. I think the the riders with superior fitness were able to really make a difference there. Uh, but Bill, that, that sand pit, I mean, that was the difference maker. I mean, you talked about 
where things broke apart because it it had these awkward chicanes like you carried no speed in or out of it it was very shallow so you know you could mostly ride through it i think most riders were riding through it but it was single file with these tight turns and Kerry Werner talked about it. He said that's where it was it was snapping. So there was a competition to be there when it was pack racing, especially in the men's field. Um, but you saw just huge gaps opening, decisive gaps, race winning gaps opening up at the sand in races throughout the weekend. And it kind of is what it is. I guess maybe if I, I would have done the entrance or the exit, have a chicane like that. Maybe to me, two of them was a little excessive, but it does make for more in a men's race that was super tactical, it makes it more tactical because you're fighting, Michael, it's like a crit. You're fighting for fourth wheel, third wheel every single time you get there because you know you could be gone if you miss, you know, if you're in the wrong spot. Yeah, there was there was some good on-bike vermeerishing with people grabbing the uh, grabbing the barrier and swinging around to get into the sand. And so in, in the past, it had just been a straight shot in and out of the sand. The difference was, and I don't know if this was uh, a... A, this came down from the UCI official or it was just a decision of the race. But in the past, between every race, they got out there with the the rototiller and just made the sand really hard to ride, you know, where it took a couple times. Like, everybody was running first lap, and then the line started to appear, and, and you could kind of ride it by the end. This year, sand, the, the, the Zach's exactly right. The sand itself wasn't the problem. The sand was rideable, but it was just those first couple pedal strokes that if you didn't get into the sand at the right angle, then you were going down. And most people could, you know, get back on their bike in the sand, which you almost never see, and to start to pedal again, which like most places you stop pedaling in the sand, it's just a run. But, but it was packed down enough that you could get started if you were on that run line and go but you're losing four or five spots. So yeah, it's so it was sort of interesting then in, in in that it wasn't the sand itself, it was that entrance and exit from the sand that were were causing the problems. Yeah, so I guess to me it it may be but then again, a straight shot sand pit is that really that interesting? I mean, I guess it's a new dynamic. It's definitely it's definitely different, but it made it. It made it a factor in the past. It wasn't a factor because you're right. It was. It's. It. If you could get going, it was just an easy sand pit to get through, or it was just everybody was running side by side. I liked it. I mean, I, what the I was able to watch some of the races this weekend, just kind of reviewing things. But uh, I saw that was where, like you said, moves were made. Um, where one lap Vinny B goes in first and attacks, and so the next lap Eric Brunner makes sure that he's in first through that spot to just you know hold on to things. So. I, I like it, I, and I think maybe you're right, Zach. Maybe maybe not both sides, but you know, like we'll see. I mean, it seems like they've got a there. It seems like this is a race that's like studying what they've done in the past, taking advice, and trying to just constantly improve. And um, maybe maybe Mammoth Tough will be on a different weekend next year, or whatever. I, I'd like to I'd like to go. I mean, I listened to your podcast with Frank Dill, uh, Bill, and Carrie Kenny. <laughs> <laughs> and they both made um, Roanoke seem like a really cool spot to be and ride bikes. So, yeah. And shout out to Frank, one of the great Instagram names. He's the CX machine. I just, I, I like it. I was like, what's up? When I saw him, it's like, what's up, CX machine? Uh, another interesting feature, Bill, I guess, is that long sweeping off camber. You probably didn't pick it up on the, the video. One, there's a couple giant rocks right at the entrance. But two, there's like a ledge that's maybe eight inches wide that's dusty and rock filled. And it was just interesting seeing 
some different lines that riders would take, you know, if they tried to stray off the ledge. But the correct line to ride was to just roll the dice on on the ledge, I think. And I, you would see riders pick up two spots by doing that because other riders were just stuck if you didn't roll the dice kind of with, with the ledge. So that 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 is that is a I think we can without comparing of course you can't compare that to Namor but I think situationally we can compare it to the Namor off camber in that that feature used to be just money in that it had three or four potential rideable lines and it was the type of thing that was one of those features that everyone would show up and that's that's where all of the cyclocross meetings took place and people would just be watching and people would be sessioning it and doing it again and going low and going high. I was out, I know, uh, probably 2018, I spent a lot of time hanging out with, uh, uh, Curtis's dad (laughs) as Curtis was sitting there riding every line, trying to figure it out. And, you know, we talked about that with Namor where you had those ledges and then the lines, it was just like easy because you knew you had to go on the ledge and that was the only line to go. So what they did, they actually closed, they did not use that last year. So it hasn't been used for a couple years since the race didn't happen during the pandemic as well. And they brought it back. It wasn't as blown out, but that ledge still exists now. So it's, it is kind of, I, I don't know how you do it, but I'd, I'd love for them to kind of, um, you know, throw some goats on there or something or get it to a point where it sort of all flattens back out and then they can sort of, you know, just through people practicing on it, those those different lines can be reestablished. Because it, it, it really is, I think, my favorite feature when it's running with multiple lines on that course. So, Zach, I, here's a quiz for you. What do you think was the hardest innocuous feature or part of the course that really through people for a loop that surprised me when I was seeing it happen. Okay. Cause usually I pick up on these and maybe it's, maybe you had a different perspective since I was doing photography and stuff. I, I, I'm trying to think of like, and not, cause you might say like the stairs, you know, you might say the log ride, but like that wasn't per se, uh, innocuous. Um, what was it? It was on the, uphill at the start when you would come through you'd go up and you descend and then you turn to go back up and you'd make that right hander to turn to go back up and into the 180 and everybody was putting too much power down getting out of their saddle a little bit and just losing their rear tire and more people were going down there especially in the early races and it affected a couple there are definitely people who came to a stop during the elite races as well and sort of had some uh, bottlenecks happen just coming around that and it was it's always it's always crazy when people are crashing uphill <laughs> was that the corner where there was the mega pile up in the men's race on saturday yeah okay the yeah yeah it was interesting okay but if you would yeah the the pile up so the, there was a giant pile up and i, I think i'll have a photo gallery uh, up on the bulletin because i got a photo of it but it was just kind of like chaos from 20 on through 50 in in the men's field so um, a lot of stuff going on. I think they have a lot of potential. Um, I think that, you know, if they keep to get that support of Virginia's Blue Ridge and can get people coming down, like, I think there's a lot of potential there. Roanoke's a cool city. They've got the Shoots Brewery. It's a cool destination race. And I think, um, yeah, I liked it. I was like, I was like, this is, this has something going on. Like, this is a good deal. Uh, not I to use say- a pun and in- <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> 
the one change that they made that that I think they was necessary was mandated by the UCI probably the TV as well, but I think it was a UCI. It used to the, the finish used to be the other way. It used to be this really tight turn that it finished on, and I think this really came in because it was a C one, and they're a little stricter on those UCI rules, and they were like, "That's just that's a no go. You need a, a straight finish." So they reversed it and went the other way. So you were staging up top, and then you were finishing where they used to stage. So in the past, you know, covering the race, it used to be at a sprint down between races because there's not a lot of time to get the beginning. Now they were all there, but then at the end you had to go all the way pretty far away to the finish. And you know, you're talking about the crowds and there's pretty decent crowds there, but I do think that that affected the finish line crowds. Like they're used to Roanoke always got these great finish line crowds because everybody hangs out where you're talking about that kiddie pool and the flyover and that sort of bowl where it's really easy to see everything and everybody sort of plops down there and then all they had to do was stand up, walk, you know, 40 feet, and they are on the railing for the finish, where here you had to really make a concerted effort to walk down the road to see the finish. So, um, yeah, I, I know Zach now, is to, since he's been shooting a lot more races, is, is spending a lot more time examining finish lines and, and sort of trying to will people into which side you want them to ride down during the finish. And if the riders were riding down their, their right, great shot. You had you know, enough people in there to make it look like a right race. If they went the other side, it, it looked like there wasn't a soul on the, in the, in the venue. So, but we'll get to the, let's, we should get to the women's right. But true story. I ran into Carolyn Mani as she was heading to the start on Sunday. Cause I noticed that she posted up on the left. It looked terrible. No fans. Vinny B super pro Bill can talk about the Vinny B post up. He posts up on the right side. It looked dope. There were fans and it looked cool and it, it reflected the energy that was there so i was like i was like carolyn can you please post up on on the right side she's like oh sure thing i'll do that like great really so she goes down the right side in the shadows gives high fives and then just cuts back to the middle and i was like we tried we tried carolyn we tried you tried you know she gave it she gave She'll it be enough. back next year to win both days again you'll, yes. get, your, you'll get your chance so but let's uh, elite women's race, um, Bill, really kind of the story that I guess kind of we missed out on and uh, was Megaly Rochette's uh, health. Did you get a chance to to chat with her? I know I did a little bit. Um, yeah. So I, I think that and she, you know, we we missed out in that we were not good enough detectives because the clues were right there in our face. Uh, she did post on her social media. I think we actually talked about it, how she was coming over. She was just getting over COVID. I think we were joking around that she was playing a little possum, just, you know, sort of building it up. Oh, I'm not trained up. I'm not feeling well. And then, you know, she was just going to destroy like she usually does knowing her. That's not really her style. She's going to tell you how she's feeling and, and what's up in, in probably more detail than you, you want to hear. Uh, so she, um, yeah, had COVID got over that. And then a couple days before the race got food poisoning was still dealing with the effects of that, like really not being able to eat. So just not being able to fuel at all. Wasn't sure if she was going to race either day. And then they show up and like about 10 minutes after they get their 
their trailer all set up, you know, in the in the parking area, she got stung by a wasp. I think maybe oh. she may have gotten stung twice. Yeah, so like in the face. I mean, just like just bad luck after bad luck, and gutted literally gutted it out. You know, uh, on on day one, and just being able to be that pro and hang in there and get those C one points and finish fifth. But she, you know, Zach, you can speak to this. I mean, just the. She's been riding, and we'll talk about this with uh, Bastons as well, but just a smart enough rider to know where her group is, not animate that group, and then just do the work she has to do at the end to, to at least kind of save the weekend. Yeah, I mean, she was in a chase group with, uh, I know Emily Werner was there, I'm assuming Anna McGailey was there, and you're like, wow, she might finish way down, and then she just turned it on for like the last two minutes. <laughs> So she was able to kind of ride with the the fifth place group and then turn it on, like Bill said, to to secure the fifth place. Uh, I mean, it's it's cool that she tried. It was also hot, you know. So we we you know we remember Charm City Day One, but you know, to her credit, I think that Caroline Mani spoke about her after when I was chatting with her, just spoke glowingly about Megalie and you know, one, she's saying she's going to be back, but talk about how great she is for cyclocross. And instead of bailing and being like, I'm out of here, she stuck around and she actually uh, was the color commentator for the, uh, at the venue for the announcing for the women's race. And, you know, she just brought so much knowledge uh, that it was, uh, you know, it's great. Like she's so knowledgeable about cyclocross. So she was doing a great job. She's Mangler Rochette. She's really um, got this great energy to her. And I caught too that she was kind of calling out like riders who had off days on Saturday and did, she did the journalism thing where she's like, it's very interesting, you know, where you don't want to like make a statement. So you think I find it. in so I, I appreciated that little bit too, but she did, she did a phenomenal job on the mic. Yeah. And I, I will actually, I, I, I want to give a shout out to Chris Bennett as well, who was announcing the races, did a, did a great job on his own, but also, someone who really did a phenomenal job working her into the commentating and just asked some really great questions. And, you know, I think we've all talked to Magalie enough, Zach, and I have interviewed her a lot where you ask her her good questions, you're going to get amazing answers. So he was able to lead her into some really nice conversations. And, you know, there was a delay between the uh, before the women's race and she was just sitting there talking for like 50 I, I felt like I was just like had a live podcast and I was just kind of sitting by the side you know getting ready for the race and just listening to her talk and it was it was wonderful and I, I hope that when she you know steps away from racing or even during you know when she if she's if it doesn't conflict she'd be a great person like GCN flow somebody you know network pick her up she knows cycling and I think that she's a, a really 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 good uh, person to have uh, talking about it yeah, I think that, I mean, now that you mentioned, I didn't know Chris's name, but like he actually knew cyclocross, like he knew domestic cyclocross and like wasn't saying things that are completely wrong. Um, you know, I was like, oh, you must listen to the podcast at least maybe read the bulletin. I don't know. But like he knew what was going on. He knew the storylines and stuff. And so we don't always get that uh, from from announcers. You know, it can be kind of a, a mixed bag. You know, Scott Herman, uh, he was always be number one on top of it. But I, I thought Chris did a great job and it was like, Oh, that's cool. That, that provides knowledge to the people that are there that you're not just on the mic. Like you're saying stuff and you can kind of like educate people. It's cool that he was able to do that. Yeah. He's an NCCX guy. So, uh, does Hendersonville as well. Came up from North Carolina. I think he did this race as well last year, but yeah, good guy and does a really nice job. Uh, so the women's race, uh, you know, I mean, 
Was there, Michael, if I told you that Carolyn Money went to the front and was just going to like set the tone, like, would you be surprised? So shocked. So shocked <laughs> that Money manhandled this field. Um, no, no. I, I, I was able to watch um, a little bit of this race. And I mean, like it, as when I tuned in, I was like doing stuff. I was like, oh, she's got a gap. And that's some, you know, it's just like, she looked like she rode really strong and, and was uh, having no issues with the sand at all. Yeah, for sure. I, I guess my question, Bill, is, you know, we, we get used to it. You were five of seven, spoiler alert, six of eight now. Um, I mean, she looks, she's happy. She's, she's relaxed. Uh, you know, she, she said at the end of my interview, she's like, Oh, I've got nothing to complain about. And I'm like, I know you, you will complain. Um, but she just looked strong. She looked like fit. I probably on par with where she was last year. I know there was the year before where she had a lot of stuff going on where it was not the case maybe in 2019, but I mean, she looks strong and just like, she's going to bring it through this entire season. Yeah. It's a good situation. She's, you know, hooked up with, uh, alpha groove and is uh there mentoring but also looking for results on that team and uh definitely uh starting to to get them for for that squad and and uh she she was she was like she said the same thing to me she was like it's uh it's she doesn't have to worry about stuff you know she i i think you go back even four or five years ago, I remember seeing her at Rochester and she is, you know, was working in a bike shop, had just, just struggling to make ends meet, had old bikes that she was still riding from, you know, teams before and just was really, didn't, didn't seem like she was happy out there and just, you know, super stressful situation for racing. So being able for her to get in a situation now, I mean, I think she, you know, her and Sonny had, had that, good year or two with uh, pac Timo, but she's, and, and now she's still with pac Timo. you know, she works for them and then she's able to get set up with that, uh, alpha crew. And I think it's the, it's the perfect situation for her. So all she really has to concentrate on is, uh, racing her bike. And, you know, you, you, you give her all of that and you plop her down in Roanoke, Virginia. And, um, it seems, it seems like a losing isn't even in the uh, question. Yeah. So Raylan Nuss, uh, second on both days, uh, you know, she, I think she's worked on her starts a little bit better. She was certainly more well positioned on Sunday, Saturday. She got caught up in some, some argy bargy as we like to call it and kind of missed out. And I think it was kind of easy for Carolyn to kind of ride away, but she, you know, she was with Carolyn for a couple laps at the beginning of the race on, on Sunday. But, you know, I think we see it was kind of, I got, uh, it's kind of interesting to me, um, you know, because we do one thing that is cool about the women's field is we, we're getting talent from outside the sport and they're they're learning the sport. Um, but I just happened to be kind of at the stairs and I was using my wide angle and I was just shooting. And, um, you know, you look at all the riders and there's a technique where you grab the down tube before you dismount, before you unclip to shoulder the bike. And Lizzie Gonzalez and Hannah Ehrensman did that. And you're like, well, <laughs> they've been racing cyclocross for like over a decade now. Uh, Caroline, we've established she'll shoulder the bike however she wants. Like, you know, uh, so she's out. But some of the other newer riders weren't didn't have that technique. And I think with Ray Lynn, we kind of saw that in the sand where, you know, she'd be the first to admit it, that the skills are still catching up to the um, to the 
you know, her fitness, her ability, her strength as a, as a, a, as a bike rider. And, you know, we saw that in the sand. I think it, it made a difference. Um, and it's kind of like still, still catching up, still have some time to get there, but it also makes you appreciate that there is craft. I think we saw that the two veteran riders, there's a craft to cyclocross to winning cyclocross races. That isn't just about pure fitness. And I, I think it was on display a little bit this weekend and it's kind of nice to appreciate that it's a sport that you have to learn how to play. Yeah, for sure. And then uh, down from there, a pair of nice finishes for uh, Austin <laughs> Killips and Caitlin Bernsey. I know it's horrible, but we're going to be doing it right. all season long. You just you can't you can't not. You can't uh, name yep. your team nice bikes and not expect to have a million nice puns all season <laughs> long. You know, and I'm sure that had something to do with it. So good for them. S- successful marketing. Nice. I mean, I don't, I don't think we should sleep on the performances that Austin Killips had. I mean, I think we, we, there was a sense we knew, I mean, I follow her on Strava, like she's worked her face off, like the amount of riding that she did. She had the results at uh, Gila and, and Joe Martin's stage race and I, you know, great solid races. I mean, she was in the lead group. Um, you know, on Sunday she raced with Lizzie for third, but two third place, two podium finishes. I mean, I don't know what her previous best was, but it was probably about eighth or ninth, maybe a little bit higher than that. So, uh, you know, I mean, she's here and I think is going to be a huge difference maker and she's putting in the work and she continues to just constantly improve every time she races her bikes. And I, you know, it's funny too. I mean, I of like the people are just like great influences. Like, so I'm like, look at my photos and I was like, Oh, here's Austin, like hugging Lizzie. And then I look over here and it's like, here's Austin hugging Anna. I'm like, are you in every photo congratulating all of your competitors? I'm like, I could just do a greatest hits of, you know, Austin making the rounds of, of congratulating everyone. But I think like, you know, the positivity, uh, you know, we talked about that we hung out around the nice trailer cause they have an espresso machine uh, and they were even willing to do iced coffee. I mean, who's going to, you know, so I got to, to chat with her a little bit. So just really good vibes, um, from that team, Caitlin Bernstein also with, uh, some nice results. I mean, she finished fourth on Saturday, I believe to, to get the C one points. So I don't know. It's cool to see. It's cool to see that team get off to a nice start. <laughs> yeah, there it is. Yeah, and uh, you're you're you were right on the mark. I think uh, fifth place last year at Major Taylor was Austin's best finish before this. All right, uh, more notables for this C one in the women. I think it, the, the interesting thing going just going down the results list, we got a lot of kind of people in their prime. You know, thirties late 20s in there and then we get to eighth and ninth place and it's that's where the uh the youth the youth movement starts so uh you know you were already talking about lizzie gonzalez moving over to the steve tilford fund this year from uh cannondale last year and then lauren zerner uh one of one of the people that carolyn manny is uh mentoring on that alpha team they finished eighth and ninth on the day which just such a huge start to the season for racers that are going to be in that u23 field you know come world cups and end of the year to get those c1 points is is pretty big yeah and i i mentioned it earlier i think uh, emily werner had her best C1 finish ever in sixth place. And 
My God, you think that like you would have thought the Werners have lived there forever. I mean, like the amount of, I felt bad for everyone in that group with her because just everyone at the venue was cheering for for Emily. It was kind of wild uh, that, you know, that I, everyone was cheering for her. And I was like, I was like, that was wild. And she's, you know, Emily's very demure. She's like, you know, just very humble. And she's like, yeah, you know, we've been racing, you know, the races around here. It's the, you know, did NCCX, we just racing around here. I'm like, and everyone loves you. You live here. You put on cross camp, you know, you do cross clinics, like you do practices every week. So, I mean, that was really cool to see her get, you know, a career best C1 finish in front of the home crowd. I just love, you love to see it. We saw it, Bill, at Pan Am's when they were in Canada, the amount of support the Canadians got. It's just kind of cool to see hometown support, uh, you know, for riders who are working really hard to get good results. Yeah. Uh, this is one I didn't know at the time, but just looking at the results, uh, first Cuban rider, I've I've seen at 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 uh, one of our races. Uh, uh, this is the uh, this is this is the Criterium Nation cross. Okay. We're crossing over right. everywhere, Michael. This, I was I was just that was my this is my, I was going to add to the conversation. I said shout out to Marlias Mejas Garcia, um, who was just kind of dominating the end of the season for the team tw- uh, end of the crit season um, for Team Twenty Four. Also, the Virginia Blue Ridge Team 24. I didn't realize there yeah, was Yeah, there's a, a tie in there yeah. between that. Yeah, they, they sponsor that uh, road team as well. Right. So I'm like, I looked at her cross results, and that's her only cross result I see. I mean, she might be doing other stuff, but just cool to see the crit racer coming over, getting a solid 13th. I mean, you know, you said, I mean, like some of that course looked like lots of straight, long, pedally sections, but I also know there was some tech stuff. So sol- solid result. From back row? I mean, she was probably back row to 13th. Like, she's not too shabby. Yeah, she's got an engine, that's for sure. Yeah, I, I mean, I saw her. She was just, I mean, I remember the name from the Intelligentsia Cup. Like, she was, her name was ringing out left yeah. and right. I mean, winning sprints. Like, uh, I forget if she was the one who out sprinted both Legion riders at the Elgin Crit. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Like, that was cool. I knew, I'm glad you brought that up because I had a photo of her that I was going to send you and uh, send Rob Kelly that's, over at Criterion Nation correct, for the, the killer crossover. She she beat uh, Boy Skyler and Alexis at Elgin. Wow. All right. Well, hopefully she'll uh, stick with it and race some more uh, race some more cyclocross race. We did have our one Dutch uh, rider, Virla Gosens. Did you get a chance to talk to her at all, Zach? No, I didn't. Yeah, okay. It's down there in the 20s. But, uh, yeah, good good, good finish for that Cat 1. Okay. Uh, race for the C1 race, excuse me, for the women. Uh, should we move over to that men's elite C1? Which one? Oh, the C1. I was going to say, which one? Saturday. Yeah, the, I mean, the, what what do you do with a rider like Vincent? <laughs> you asked him that this question. Was the, you asked this him was that. the question. It's, <laughs> it's my burning question. I asked every rider. I know they didn't want to hear it because... Honestly, I don't think they have an answer. I don't think they do. And I just love in the post-race interviews, Bill, that you asked him that question. And he was just like, he kind of was laughing. Like, he was like. Right. Well, that's, so if you didn't see it, I was asking all of his opponents, what do you all have to, on Saturday, I was like, hey, what do you all have to do to beat this guy on Sunday? And they were, they, you know, all of them were like, I thought I raced a great race. Not really sure what else I did. (laughs) So I was like a little, I was like, all right, well, I'm just going to ask him, what do they need to do to beat you? And he was, uh, he didn't really want to answer that question. (laughs) (laughs) do you think he didn't want to answer because he 
didn't want to like he tactically he didn't want to give any away advice or do you I think, don't think he knows either or do you think he just knows he's strong enough to beat all these guys that's the thing and I, I think he's a nice enough guy that he didn't want to like sort of you know pour more salt into the 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 emotional wounds of getting <laughs> beat by Vincent every time he uh, lines up for a US race but uh Brunner gave it a good run on day one, though, right? I mean, he was, yeah. I, when I tuned in part of that race, they were already We all, we all had high hopes those last uh, couple laps because uh, Eric, Eric Brunner is coming in there. And for, for, for you and me, Michael, Zach actually has now self-corrected and, and pronounces it correctly. I did confirm with Eric again, who I know just loves it when I keep asking this, pronounce your last name? And he's like, it's Brunner. Brunner. Okay. Brunner. Bruner. Just so you know, don't... Yeah, just pretend like it's just one N. Bruner. Got it. So Bruner and Bastion's kind of like the new Bash brothers out there. I don't know. Just kind of... I like that. I like the, the B&B. Um, we'll see. I'm, I'm curious how much we'll have them off the front again um, the rest of the USCX series. Yeah, so like uh, one thing that it was, I guess, interesting, uh, I was chatting with him um, quite a bit actually after Sunday's race, but even officially talking to him, it was like, I was like, dude, you're, you know, you're a, you're a sub topper in Europe. Like, how did you learn how to win bike races? And he's like, you know, I made it a point throughout my career to go to Luxembourg, to go to Switzerland, to go a couple races a year to go race where I could win, where, you know, where he's making the race, where he's in these positions. And I mean, it was his tech, his tactical ability as a bike racer is just brilliant. You know, he, he had his spots picked out. Like he was like, uh, they were getting to him. I think if there was one more rider on Sunday, like Curtis and Brunner threw a lot at him on Sunday and he was close, but he's like, he had the spot picked out. He's like, I'm going to get to the front of the sand. I'm going to go as hard as I can. It was like Charm City Day 2, Bill, last year, where he's like, I'm going to get ahead at the planks, and I'm just going to absolutely gun it. And, you know, he picks a spot. He's like, <laughs> he even said, he's like, I didn't go fast, fast, but my fast was good enough, you know? And I he did the same thing. He picked the stairs. He's like, I'm going to sprint past Eric on the stairs and win the race that way. So it's like... I don't know. It's just brilliant the way he picks his spots and he makes his move. It's like almost Mariana Voss like. Not to say that's anywhere, but like Voss does the same thing. She's like, "Here's where I'm going to win the race. I might not be ahead. I'm not. I might not like destroy souls. Then pick the race, win, and you're just going to be like, of course you won." <laughs> and and you talk about a couple things. You know, I'll, I'll just stick with what you were just talking about in that move on the stairs. And we all look at the top American racers and you're like their their technique is 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 flawless you know you talked about the the, the raylan who's still you know new to sport but you, you you have these other people who have been doing this for years who are just so smooth on the bike yet his technique getting back on the bike was just just above and beyond in that he was accelerating while still getting back onto his bike at the top of the stairs and it it created 10 feet, like right away. You just from that top stair to getting back on the bike and going down the hill and, and he established the gap and, and you're right. He knew the spot, but he also just has that, that, that technical ability to, to, to make it work. And it was just, that's the difference. Those are those little things that maybe, maybe if all the engines are really the same size, that's where 
that's where he's ba- able to take advantage of, of that ability. And going back to what you were saying about him racing outside of Belgium, he is unique in that. It, uh, you know, we joke about the Belgians not wanting to leave Belgium, and it is really not a joke. And they don't have to. They just want to race at home, and they have all of these amazing races at home, so they never really have to leave. Uh, v- Vincent has has family in the U.S. You know, he's not afraid to travel. He's not, and I think that's what that sort of gives him that comfort zone to do it in Europe as well, and just go to other places and race. And then I remember being at Nittany Cross probably nine, ten years ago, and he was racing in that race. You know, as as like a U twenty three racer. So he's been coming to the America for years. You know, I think there was a gap where he wasn't coming as much as he is now. So he's it, he's very used to it, and I think you're right, and it's something that. Uh, I think a lot of coaches tell their younger riders, you know, there, there's that balance where they want to just go. They want to race with the elites. They want to race up. They want to race up. And part of it is like, let's get used to winning first. You know, why don't you stay within your age group, learn how to win, and then move up from there instead of moving up too soon and just getting your head bashed in. So finding that competition that you can actually compete against and have success I, th- I think is huge, and he's he's done a really good job of that. And I think, you know, having that stint in the U.S. last year, you know, we talked about it a lot, really paid off for him once he went back to Europe and just had that confidence and really performed well. And that's the same reason that I think it's good that Americans race or North Americans race in North America. We're like, well, you should just go to Europe, like, full time. But, you know, even get into, like, these micro races. I mean, you look at Curtis was in a group he to finish 12th at Worlds last year. You know, he probably learned a little bit about how to, to win that group and get a result that he's really proud of instead of finishing 15th and being a little disappointed because he had these battles against Kerry. You know how to win the races. So... I mean, I think there's there's value in in racing here in the U.S. and learning how to do that, and not just like per se getting stronger by getting smashed. Because Vinny's like, you don't make the race where he's at in Belgium. You're just hanging on for dear life and hoping to get uh, a decent result. Um, so another thing that you know we got some comments about it, clarifying um, his team did drop him last year. I mean, there's different conflicting reasons why, but like the team still exists. Our man. Don the Mon is still on the uh, the containers, <laughs> as we like to call him. But I was talking to him, and he's like, "Yeah, the you know." So I get back and looking at some of the Belgian or Dutch sites, and he gets front page, you know, his own post about winning a race here in the U.S. And he's like, "Yeah, teams don't care about that." He's like, "It makes no sense to me." Like. Hmm. He's getting all this, you know, social media is blowing up. He's getting all this recognition on social. You know, Wheeler Flitz is giving him his own headlining post or whatever. He's like, yeah, the teams just want to see the riders racing. But he's like, I'm like, but no one sees you at most of the race. He's like, yeah, I know. It makes no sense to me. Um, But it seems like with this new team, it's a construction company that apparently built his house. Uh, It seems like he has a better relationship. So he seems really happy. I'm really excited. He was a little surprised. I told him that he's making a lot of fans here in the U.S. He's like, really? And I was like, yeah, people actually are really starting to like you, dude. Like, everyone's really excited that you're racing again this year. So cool story. I mean, he's a gracious winner. I, I, I warm up to Vinny B every time I talk to him. Like, what you got, Michael? I was just gonna say that's a really interesting situation i'm wondering how that contract negotiating goes like hey this is the quote for building your house um hey would you also like to be the sponsor of my team um and i I learned free free heated he's doing it for free heated floors (laughs) right exactly like what exactly like yeah what discount did he get um (laughs) 
I did learn from the broadcast. Uh, we uh, the broadcast GCN had Jose Bean and Jay Powell, and she said that spits means peak, as in the All top. Right. So okay, there you go. He is the top of Go Cross. There you go. I got a question for y'all. As we go down the 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 podium here, when, at what point, when did Kerry Warner become the, I mean, I know it's Roanoke, so there, but just in general, become the people's favorite underdog. How, how did this narrative flip? Because it was out there. Did it, I mean, was anybody like, oh, Kerry's a favorite? Years passed every year. It was like, oh, Kerry can easily, you know, or Kerry and Curtis mm. are in this. I know Vincent was there, but it seemed like this year, and maybe it was just because he's not concentrating on cyclocross, that was sort of this vibe that, hey, we want to see Kerry do well. <laughs> I mean, my theory is that they've been listening to the media pit and they know how much I've been hyping uh, Eric Bruner. And so they're, they, they know that, like, and I mean, he delivered, like, think he was clearly the strongest rider in the field like oh the americans i don't know and maybe because it was i mean it was a fast course curtis had the crits like you know carried i mean he didn't he he didn't deliver at pan ams or nationals last year he he didn't he didn't he didn't deliver commensurate with his results he had the second place run last year like the six seconds uh i don't know i don't know this was like this was like a rocky esque performance in in and he was you know in Philadelphia for this like just the hometown hero animating the race and uh, sticking it out for a podium spot but also the ultimate showman where he knew you know I know it's it's a racing and he wanted to try to get out there but he he took it to the field in that first day he wasn't holding back. Yeah, yeah, he took the whole shot. He was like, I surprised myself. And he's like, <laughs> he kept saying it was sick. He was like, that was incredible. And it was like, so I, I mean, it was just cool to see that clearly they've ingrained themselves in the Rono community and the support was given back to them. And that it's just cool to see that him and Emily have been such a great representative for cyclocross. Like, what if they lived there and no one gave it, cared? What if they lived in Roanoke and everyone was just like, oh, that, that guy lives here? Okay. I mean, they've done a lot for that community, and I think it was cool to see the love uh, given back to them. So I think it's a testament to the work that Emily and Carrie have done becoming part of Roanoke's bike scene. Yeah. Uh, Michael Vanham getting the top Canadian, uh, which I think we started liking to point out, so we may as well do it here as well. Fourth place for him, uh, which uh, brings, brings us to fifth place. Did you talk to Curtis after this one? I saw his face and I didn't, I didn't need to just in terms of the, the racing, why was he in like fifth? He wasn't in that front. Was he, did he, I know that he did a big training camp and I'm I'm, I'm wondering, do we know if that was sort of where he was on day on Saturday, day one, and then he turned it around on Sunday or like, what was the deal with fifth? That that's what he said. I mean, I, he, he admitted, he's like, I just didn't have the legs. Um, so I think that, you know, cause he was getting after it too, with the national team, I think that he was training just as hard as the kits were. And so, I mean, that's what he said. I mean, take it as, take it with a grain of salt as you will, but you know, he just did not perform, uh, up to his abilities. And I, on Sunday he did, like he almost made a race winning move in like lap six. Like he almost got away from Vinny and Eric. Like he almost knocked Eric out of the race. Like, so 
you know, I, I we'll see how he bounces back at Rochester, but like that is how I expect Curtis White to race, not like Saturday. Saturday was bizarre. Yeah, I think that a lot of the so USA Cycling had a national team camp up in Massachusetts. It was a week long camp, and those guys were were racing or riding and training and actually, you know, simulated racing really hard for the whole week. And it's not to take anything away from the results that people got that weren't at that camp. But I think that a lot of the riders who were there were, were, were pretty smoked by the time that they got down to, to Roanoke to try to turn around and, and, you know, race a C1. And I think it affected, I think Scott Funston will be the first to admit it. It did, it affected him. You know, he was, he definitely had some heavy legs coming into, coming into Saturday and didn't get the results that I know he was expecting and that we expect to see from him. So, um, I think that that's something actually, if we're looking at the standings from this race, it'll be interesting to see what happens in Rochester. I think Rochester will be a race where everyone may come in on, on equal footing, but you know, again, I think that everybody's, everybody got legit spots for where they landed for the C1. Yeah. It's not to take any, anything away, uh, from them. And I, I think sixth place, if I'm not mistaken, both days, my guy, Caleb Swartz, uh, I'm pretty, I was texting with him a little bit. I think that he's pretty excited to be there. You know, we saw flashes, we saw the fifth place at us nationals from him last year. And what I was looking for is, can he consistently, you know, on Sunday, he rode with the Werner Vandenham group. Can he consistently be in that group? I think that's what we're looking for from these younger kids is consistency. You know, our riders, we saw flashes from Stroh last year. Uh, Funston, you know, delivered against his age peers at the end of the year. I guess what I'm looking for is who of these younger kids are going to be able to consistently get those sixth, seventh place performances, you know, where they are factoring into the conversation. That would be, you know, something to watch in terms of how these young talents are taking that next step. And I guess Caleb's a second year elite, but I, he's always just the 16 year old kid. That's just 14 year old kid. That's just blowing me away. And, you know, in cat three Wisconsin races, but uh, they grow up so fast. All right. Seventh place, Andrew Strohmeyer. Uh, good. I think he's super happy with that, that result. He had a goal for that top 10 in the C1 and uh, definitely did deliver there. It's good to see Andrew Dillman back. New with team. New news. New squad, yeah. So at him, Hannah Aaronsman, is anybody else on that, Zach, or just the two of them? I thought there was another person, but I think him and Hannah are kind of like the the main two. Yeah. Um, Bill, can we, as the uh, boys, can we we talk about Drew Dillman's beard? I was going to say, looking like Jesus on the start line there. I, I, dude, um, he has a, like, that is like, that's like, that's like a Mike Posner beard when he did his, like, walker, you know, just like crazy, crazy ass, just beard. Put a, put a Bauer helmet on him and get him in the Stanley Cup playoffs. And between the hair and the beard, that guy's that guy's ready to be like your uh, your fourth line. Did he did he like go on a walkabout like during the summer as sort of like his <laughs> off season training just backpacked across the country? Like that's what I'm saying. Like pull a Mike Posner and just like go crazy <laughs> with it. I don't know who. Yeah, Mike good Posner for him. Is. It's uh, he's he's a guy that's you know sort of in and out of uh, cyclocross and um, uh, looks like he's all the way back in. So it'll it'll be good. He's he's one of those. He I I think Dizzle Dillman is a guy who just just can't quit the sport. I mean, it's he's just you know he talks about it as sort of walked away a couple times because you know he's got to get a job, got to do, got to support his family. But you know he's, he'll be back. He truly loves it, so it's good to see him out there. Uh, top ten for Jules Van Kempen. You know, best C one finish for him. Really good race. Uh, Tyler Clark, Clark, second Canadian. Um, 
Yeah, and and on down. Uh, Jay Money, top fifteen for Jay Money. Was it twelfth? Was it thirteenth? Thirteenth. Thirteenth. Yeah. Jay Money, like what a what a journey. Like I, my new favorite guy. So the story with Jay Money is uh, one of his boys was in our Instagram every post, just being like, "When are you going to talk about Jay Money? Why aren't you talking <laughs> about Jay Money?" Uh, and so after the after Saturday's race, I'm like, "God damn it! I am talking to Jay Money." So I went and I went and chatted with him. Like you know, he's from Colorado. He just loves loves the sport, or he lived in Colorado. Just loves racing. He, he went bike. to school he's, there. He'll he'll show yeah. up. I, this is this is my plea. Jonathan Anderson's the guy's name, by the way. Uh, and and my my plea to him is to bring the uh, Fort Lewis College kit out of retirement because before he went to the uh, the custom J Money kits. And by custom, I mean buy a white jersey and put J and a dollar sign in uh in Sharpie on it. Uh, he 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 used to still race in his uh, FLC kit, the Skyhawks. He was repping the Skyhawks out there. Do we know what the white jersey, like what brand that is? Because I was I was peeping your photos, Zach, trying to figure out was that a Velocio radiator jersey or like I want to know who. It's like it's like damaged. Like he was like, <laughs> oh no, this one's has- new. So this is new because he raced yeah. in a T-shirt last year. Because uh, I was like, you know, I was like, I, I was like, I noticed that you have a UCI official jersey. He's like, no one's gonna. Yeah. Apparently, his mom made it for him, and he was really upset because the colors, of the magic marker, were running <laughs> after Saturday because it was who, so hot. He's like, who knew? This is not good. Like, dude rides a canny brakes. He's riding two faux griff, uh, two faux tubulars. And my favorite Jay Money fact is like, I was like chatting with him after Sunday's race, and this is near and dear to my heart. And he's like, he's like, oh yeah, I'm gonna go stay in Hagerstown now or whatever. He's like, I'm going to Antietam tomorrow. I was like, you're a Civil War nerd? He's like, dude, I love the Civil War. He's like, the same time last year I went to Gettysburg. I was like, dude, I made a, I stayed an extra day in DC after Charm City to go to Gettysburg. So like, I'm all in on Jay Money. Like, I'm on the Jay Money train. Great kid. I just love to see kids that want to race bikes and bring a little flair. You know, if you're going to be in the 12 to 15 range, bring some flair, make a name for yourself. Don't just be another guy in a kit, do an entire persona. It's great. I love it. And you know, Zach, you sent the photo over the chat group and you, and you asked me the question, trash or panache and Jay money. I said so bad. It's good. I'm giving you the panache, man. You got the breathe right strip. You got the wrist guard on, like you got the Sharpie Jersey. I'm loving it. Like keep it up. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about you. <laughs> All right. Uh, we are running up on the hour. So I think we did a pretty, pretty, uh, uh, pretty good job covering that C1 race. Anything really stick out in that C2 race that we, uh, that we have to talk? You know, one thing, the course did change a little bit. I don't know if it really played into that much, except for one thing. I will say this about the C2 two race that we need to point out and it was uh something that unfortunately i have seen absolutely zero coverage of it was one of those things that i was already at the finish line because it happened at the end of the race but in the men's junior race throughout for both races david thompson and uh ben stokes from fincraft were great and then miles madchern from uh, CXR's Devo also top three fighting it out both days. Day two, we we had 
Thompson and Mattern, who were really going neck and neck, attacking each other. Miles would go and get a little gap. Thompson would close it off. They were coming to the end of the race. They moved the barriers on day two right near the finishing sprint, and then there was a 180 turn, and then the flyover was right before that. So we always like to talk about the sprint before the sprint. The sprint before the sprint for this day really was the flyover. If you get to the flyover first, somebody has to work really hard to be able to beat you for the rest of that race. You got a pretty good shot of winning if you can get to that flyover first. They both come into the flyover in this junior race, shoulder to shoulder, going up the flyover together. Actually, I think Miles may have actually edged him out a little bit, gotten gotten almost a half a bike length. He comes through, comes down on the bike, so he just wants to carry speed and go straight over the flyover. Thompson launches. I mean, just from bottom to the top, it was like mission control takeoff, launches over the flyover and passes him in the air. <laughs> Comes down, takes the lead, and takes the win uh, wow. from that. So, yeah, everybody in the pit was like, please let there be somebody who has that on film somewhere. Like, I had more people coming up to me and going, was, were GCN actually running their cameras during the junior race? I was like, I, do, I, I don't think they were. Oh, yeah, man. so definite highlight that I think is just for the people who saw it just in their heads and um, that's where it will live. It will just become, it will just become, you know, legend from there. Or if you've got it, Send it in. Yeah. I was afraid you were going to say there was a crash at the No, nope, it was better. Okay, everything everything good oh. that could have happened happened okay. during that race. Excellent. Yeah. I have seen someone uh, launch off a hand-built flyover straight to flat, and it was pretty bad. So I'm glad that's, yeah, not how it happened. Yeah. D- uh, well, uh, talk to anybody. They went to DCCX the one year we had a flyover. It was um, It was wild. <laughs> Uh, since we're talking about uh, the barriers, I mean, kudos to our second favorite Canadian, Michael Vandenham. He ate it at the planks uh, in the first lap. He bounced back and he finished fifth. He joined the uh, the Kerry Warner Pony Camp. Him, Caleb, and <laughs> Kerry, once they got dropped, were kind of riding around together. So I was like, man, that's 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 going to be a rough day for Michael. But uh, I think his fitness is pretty good. He he seems pretty fit. Um, he I know he wants a little bit more in terms of. Uh, the results of that fitness, but uh, you like to see our second favorite Canadian uh, doing well, and especially after <laughs> uh, casing it uh, at the planks. Women's race, top three were the same. Manny, Nuss, Killops. Good good race by Lizzie Gonzalez coming in fourth. Uh, Aaron's been fifth. Um, and then kind of the same story in the men's race, except that Curtis White really Bouncing back, Zach, and then making it a race day two, kind of taking it to Vinny and doing the things that we we wanted to see, but unfortunately, just by the end of the race, you know, he he just kind of kind of overcooked himself and wasn't able to to hang on for for that final really quarter of a lap. 
yeah, I, that, I mean, that was Sunday's race was a great race. Like, I mean, if you if you were there, if you go back and you break it down, what was going on? I mean, you had Vinny actually put his nose to the wind in like lap two. Like normally mm. we don't see that, but he's like, because it was a, I mean, it was a pretty big group. I mean, if you've seen the men's racing, it's super tactical. I think in the C1 on Saturday, we had like 12, 12 men within like two seconds of the leaders after one lap. It's just no matter what, it bunches up. He really started to to open things up. You know, he whittled it to that group of six. And then Brunner just obliterated. Brunner was just like doing work in a couple laps. That's what split the two groups. Curtis, it was funny. He was like, yeah, I was just hanging on for dear life. And then he get to the front and he soft pedaled. <laughs> He's like, yeah, I got to the front for the sole purpose of like, wow. But then he attacks it so like a lap later, he just unloads and just lets it rip. And like Vinny was struggling to keep up. Brunner was dropped. We're like, Brunner's out, you know, Brunner's done. And then, you know, I guess Curtis I, talking to him, I think the one decision he would take back is maybe instead of easing up at the end, going into the bell lap is just to go for it and see if put his cards on the table and see if he can break Vinny. Cause he, he slowed up. Brunner got back you know, then Brunner attacks, like he attacks before that long off camper, the shelf. He's like feeling good. But then Vinny's like, I got this one move and that move is to get to the sand first. And he attacks. And that was kind of like, it was like a really dynamic race. Yeah. Like if you like good bike racing, it was tactical. Uh, all three of the guys represented themselves well and put in moves and really threw down. It was a great race. It was super awesome to watch. Yeah, Vinny came into that race. I think he was saying he just uh, – and, and this was – I don't know if it's just because it was much hotter on the second day than it was the first, even though it was way too hot on the first day as well. But he said he just had chills on the on the start line and just really was not feeling well at all. So I think that may have been why he was like, I just need a, a more manageable group and then just kind of strategically figure out how to – how to win this race. We, the one thing we didn't mention here that reminded me with the uh, chills thing that we, we do have to just quickly bring up. Uh, um, we, we had, we had a spirit of cyclocross moment in, in, in day one of this race in which, uh, it was coming to, I think it was about, was it, it might've been last lap or penultimate lap. They're coming down the finish line and Bruner's just like, it's just Bruner and Vinny and Bruner's like, I'm going, screw it. I'm going. And it was right when Boston's pulled his bottle out and was taking a, a drink and he took exception to, uh, Bruner attacking him at that moment. And we were like, Hey, it's, you know, this <laughs> Same is like a couple, couple things here. One, Belgian guy, what are you doing with a bottle on your bike? Come on, they don't put bottles on uh, cyclocross bikes, and I know they all do now. But yeah, it was just kind of funny. And Bruner said after he was like, "Who knows if he'd do anything different?" But he's like, "I didn't even look behind. I didn't know he was taking a drink. I was just, you know, we were kind of going to what we seemed to have slowed down on the start, and I just went." But uh, it was kind of funny. It, it, it harkened us back to to our gravel disputes that we've we've had throughout the past couple of years this is when i attack on the group rights all the time when they're going for the drink of water that's when you attack <laughs> but uh but anyway yeah uh, for that for that last day i think uh, um bruner again showed himself to really as you said zach the the strongest of the of the riders in the north american field now would be uh interesting to see how it plays out come uh, come Rochester. Any other any other notables on the on the men's side we want to shout out here before we uh, put an end to this uh, episode? 
no, I think the one big shout out is uh, Anna Marie Worst. It's going to be on the start line. I talked to to Vinny. Uh, she is going to be doing day one of Rochester. Oh, she's doing Rochester. Uh, just the Saturday. Yeah, so she gets in on Wednesday of this week. She's doing day one of Rochester and both days of charm. So uh, it'll be interesting. I was talking to Vinny because I was just like, he's like, yeah, I, you know, he just, he was like, the way the racing works here, like, I don't think she's just going to roll over these fields. Like, he's like, it's really hard to get away. And I was like, eh, we'll see. Hmm. We'll see. So I think, you know, I think Mani is ready for the challenge. Megali, uh, last I saw her, she was rolling out of the venue. She said she's going to try to give it a go. Um, so she's going to do her best to recover and be there uh, for it. I mean, I know she's probably licking her chops at the chance to, to race against Anne Worst. And so, yeah, it, it's, it's kind of exciting. It's kind of cool. I, li- I like that Vinny, you know, uh, Anne Worst is his partner. and He's bringing around for the American journey. I, I love to see that. Yeah, it was good. It was fun when that was first announced. It's another, you know, we like seeing him race, but even even more so that he's bringing uh, Anne Marie over to hang out. I'm sure they'll probably go down to Florida since that's what he, uh, that's where his family seems to go. And uh, yeah, do that as well. So awesome to see them. Michael, anything else we got to cover here before we get out? Br- Bruner in the Pan Am's kit. Uh, I'm, I'm missing seeing the Stars and Stripes. I, I don't, we need to, we need to get with Kapachi and, and and figure this out. I'm not I'm not liking it. The wall. Uh, it would have been. It, I think just design wise, if we had the old Pan Am kit, it'd be a little at least a little easier. Right. Right. Would you just the Visa Master? Would it? <laughs> the Bank of it's America. Bank, Nationals bank, kit looks. He, bank he, of his America National kits looks really nice. Like yeah. he he was pre riding in it. it looks ah. pretty nice. Zach, exactly. you get nice a photo. Post a photo. Come on. Give the fans what they want. Can we? Can I just Photoshop in the stars and stripes for all my photos of Brunner? So just so we can dream. We can dream. We can do it. All right. We'll see you all next week after Rochester. The Slow Ride Podcast. Three idiots who are usually wrong. The Slow Ride Podcast. The titanium of podcasts. The Slow Ride Podcast. It's like if David Vanderpool had a podcast. The Slow Ride Podcast. The Zwift Racing of podcasts. The Slow Ride Podcast. Find the real advice. The Slow Ride Podcast. The arrow helmet of podcasts. The Slow Ride Podcast. Sport leader coming through. The Slow Ride Podcast. When's Lance gonna sue us? The Slow Ride Podcast. The experts in French cycling. The Slow Ride Podcast. Official Fan Experience Zone on Facebook. The Slow Ride Podcast, the gravel bike of podcasts. The Slow Ride Podcast, both vertically and horizontally compliant. The Slow Ride Podcast. New episodes every Tuesday.